Hello, and welcome to Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. Back Issue Spotlight, I'm joined by James, and we're going to be discussing Stanley's Just Imagine, the second part of it. We're going to be covering Flash, JLA, Secret Files, Robin, and Shazam. Now, this is where I was saying it was a 12-part series, but The Secret Files is kind of that 13th to make it a baker's dozen. James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Now, I enjoyed all of this, but this was a bit of reading to do. Oh my gosh, it was a lot of reading. <laughs> I'm not the only one. I was I was reading. I was like, man, this is taking a while. It it did take a while, and part of it for me is this this is an anthology. Yeah, you know, read about the Flash, then switch context over to the JLA, then switch context to the Secret Files, switch context to Robin, switch context to Shazam. There's a cognitive load for that, you know. And each of these again is about a 48 page thing with a, a backup story, and you could argue how much you want to spend on uh, time wise on those backup stories, but it, it was a bit of reading, yeah. Yeah, I would say Stan's a little wordier than some people who write. He he tells you that people say things that normally would be might might be left off the page. Sometimes I think today he just has a little more dialogue on the on each page. Some of that's I think generational. He's from that, a generation of writing where it was really written. Exactly. It, it, it we come from the de well now we're in the decompressed age and yeah this is definitely written like maybe like an eighties comic I would say if not seventies. I would almost go back to, there's aspects of it that harken back to the 60s style, which, again, Stan helped define to a certain degree. Oh, yeah, especially the phrasing and the, the wording in there. <laughs> Some of the terminology, you're like, man, I've never heard that since the 1960s. <laughs> well, the the phrasing, the terminology, again, the heavy use of captions and some of that stuff. And some of that's just stylistic for Stan, you know? Oh, yeah. With The Flash, the first of the ones we'll talk about this time. You know, we, we start, as we sometimes do, on the villain instead of the hero. Yep. Which I think is a questionable choice, but not a bad one. So first thing we got to do is set up this Andrea Zakara as, you know, just being a really bad person. And she had her, her, her lead thug, which I don't know what it was. He reminded me of Ubu from Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now that you say it. Doesn't exactly look like him, but close enough. And part of this, we got art by Kevin McGuire on this. Yeah. Which, easy on the eyes art. The guy is just phenomenal. Nice, nice clean style. And there's a sense of, of acting with the facial expressions and stuff like that. I think that's one of McGuire's kind of signature aspects. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he, he did a terrific job in here. I mean, if you can't tell what a character is thinking by looking at them, you're not looking well. <laughs> Very true. The whole bit with the cyclonic chamber and stuff, it, it just, I don't know, it seemed like a weird time travel device. It really did. I, I was looking at that and it was, I understand what they were going for, but it just seemed almost like a out of place or why are we doing this? Well, it seemed really weird because the first time we see somebody in the test, you know, phase of it goes into the device. It's like a capsule or whatever. It gets kind of yellowy energy sort of a thing. They seem to go away, more yellow energy. They come back. And then drop dead, of course, because, well, it's still in the testing phase. But then at the end with the time travel, it's almost more of a Star Trek transporter kind of effect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you kind of s- That's what I got the vibe with the dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it felt like that, even though you're like, okay, the bone's missing from her hand, and now the dog has the bone, so I got that. But yeah, it felt like a transporter. Yeah, that, that whole bit was a little weird and honestly irrelevant to the story. It really was. You know, like, it was completely irrelevant to his story, how the Flash is getting her powers and the hero is getting set up. But just kind of rolling with it. Okay, here's what he did, and let's let's do this. I think the only reason we needed to have that is so there was some reason for this group to, to go after Mary's dad. Mary Maxwell is, is who becomes the Flash in this issue. Exactly, yeah. Another double letter or the same letter. First name, last name. <laughs> Another one of those. Yeah, going with the alliteration again. Yep. <laughs> what got me was we spend, I don't know, a page or two with her getting home to, to, to meet Dad. 
I don't know that we ever get Dad's first name, not that it matters, but when they get attacked by people from this group, which is Stealth. At first, I think it's just Stealth is the name. It turns out it's an acronym. Yeah. More likely a backronym to get into the acronym. Yeah. Special team of espionage agents licensed to target and hit. Good lord. Someone spent a lot of time thinking that up. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is the acronym I want. Let's back into it. What do we need? It's what, what fits? Yeah, pretty much. But when they get attacked, the dad has set up, I don't know, hydraulic lifters or something under the lawn and stuff like this. How do you install something like that in suburbia? <laughs> I had no clue. That was completely bizarre. It's like, what the heck is going on? I don't know. <laughs> it looked awesome, but it was a little nonsensical. It was completely nonsensical. They get into the, the minivan. It's got rocket boosters in the back. That was hilarious, too. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got to set up that the dad is this this tech wizard and such. So certainly we've got super science in this world. Yeah. In a way that I don't think any of the previous issues really set up. And I'm willing to go with it's not widespread. It's still kind of weird. It was very weird. So, And the daughter knew nothing about this. It was... And then we immediately spill into the church again. That church just keeps coming back. Yeah, Church of Eternal Empowerment and Unavoidability, I think. Yeah, Unavoidability, exactly. All bow down. (laughs) It was, yeah, that was a little insane. And then the other thing we got here is we go a little ways after, you know, they get chased out of Australia or wherever it was. She falls into the water, and there's this green mist, this green water and such, which leaves her with very little energy, which is a little confusing. Exactly. That's what I was wondering. I was like, is time slowing down? No, she just has no energy. She's exhausted. Yeah. And she winds up, before she gets her powers, there's an Easter egg on one of these pages where Dad's trying to figure out, what can I do to restore her energy? And there's these energy pills in front of her in the bottom corner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. (laughs) One of them, energy booster gold. Boom, boom, boom. Booster gold, of course, being no relation to any of this stuff, but again, interesting kind of Easter egg. But somehow he decides to inject her with, uh, he sees a hummingbird. They have lots of energy. Let's inject a little of that DNA into her. Didn't that seem just completely bizarre? What kind of dad is this? (laughs) Well, it fits in the DC Universe, not that this is the DC Universe, but it's not that far off from, like, Changeling's origin and a few others. Ah, so you just extract the DNA and we're going to inject it in this person untested. Into my daughter, who's very tired. Well, it's not like a radioactive Honeymingberg is going to just miraculously go bite her or something. That's true. (laughs) So there there are shades of Spider-Man's origin. Very true. What I found utterly ludicrous, and, and... there's, there's places where the art here, as beautiful as it is, doesn't do the job telling the story. We get the page where she's being injected. Her dad gets shot in the back. Yep. Boom, boom, boom. And the full syringe of stuff goes in versus the least little bit of hummingbird DNA. So she got the full, the full dose. Full thing. The next page, the guys kick in the door. Yeah, it's like, did they shoot through the door? What the heck? How did they know exactly? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. And then instantly, she not only has super speed, she's using it. Yeah. Without knowing she had it. It just doesn't make any sense. I was yeah. thinking the same thing. And we then get, well, first off, these thugs get zapped by uh, Andrea because, well, they failed her. <laughs> if, they, if you do one thing wrong for Andrea, she kills you immediately. How do you keep your ranks filled with that kind of HR policy? That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, who in their right mind is going to be working for this lady? She literally liquidates anyone that has the slightest hiccup in the mission. And you mean that very literally from what we see here. Yeah, it was, it was a little gross, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but Dad then gives the lowdown on how the Hummingbird DNA gave her super speed and the irony that her weakness is going to be fatigue. Yeah, that was funny. Okay. And then Dad kicks the bucket. Boom. Gone. How he figured this all out, we don't know, but we're just going with it. But cool. He's a genius. He's a genius. He just knew. Yeah. And then we get the dog traveling in time, getting the bone, the bone vanishing from her hand, all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay. But when the one guy's like, there's one thing we got to warn you about. She's like, oh, I don't have time for that. It's like, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time for that. Don't tell me anything. Yeah. That just made no sense. 
the next page was kind of funny though or not funny but interesting it reminded me of old comic books yeah Mary goes out to Excalibur Films. There's a, conveniently a cinematographer strikes. So no one's filming at the location. It's like two two thousand acres or something. Plenty of place for her to to kind of you know literally stretch her legs and test her powers. And she is fast enough to almost bump into herself when she does one of the laps. Yep. The problem I have with that is when we see her running, we don't really see her seeing even her after image. So it almost seems like a same page retcon. Yeah, exactly. So it it seemed like on that second row of panels, there was an opportunity for McGuire to actually set the scene for her to realize what had happened. Yeah. But apparently, you know, she has time travel now, just like the Flash. Yeah, but never once thinks to use it to go save her dad? Not once, which was bizarre. (laughs) So uh, fast enough to travel in time and all that stuff, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we get the digital controller for the time travel mechanisms. Now the pod's not even needed. And we, we keep cutting back between Mary and Andrea and stuff just because, well, why not? And this felt a little odd for a Stan Lee story, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. That's not the way he tends to write, I think, typically. And Zorgal, the, the thug or whatever, was sent back in time to rob an armor car robbery. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. It works. It works. And and sh- and she's going to reward him with some sexy time. <laughs> what I would have liked to have seen, though, right before we got to that, was the bank robbers in the present day, which is just a week later or whatever, at their place counting their money and it suddenly vanishes. That would have been cool. If they like, would put that in there. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. Because, I mean, they set that up with the dog, the bone and stuff, and then don't pay it off. Yeah, that would have been really, that's a missed thing. Missed opportunity. But yeah, when Andrea decides to, to reward Zorgal and stuff with some, some private alone time, takes the time-bending digital control or whatever, it's like, come on, give us a better acronym for that. Yeah. <laughs> she takes that, walks out, blows him up. You know, that's awesome. No, that's horrible. Poor Zorgal. You, you die for failing, you die for succeeding. This lady just likes to kill. Yes! <laughs> She's killing whoever crosses her path. And Mary decides, okay, because she's a comic book fan, got to make a costume and stuff, which was okay, using a motorcycle helmet and stuff. Interesting approach, made kind of sense. And then we get a, a full-page splash of the Flash costume. Yeah, with the little rainbow ribbons coming off her head. Yeah, the streamers or whatever, which, to me, seems like a really risky move. Yeah, if they, they get stuck like- on something, you're going to just snap your neck. I mean, granted, they should pop off or whatever, but still. That's the same thing I was thinking. These things are going to get wrapped around something. She's going to take off and whip her head back. Snap. <laughs> and that's the only color because all the rest of the costume is white. Yeah, almost like Nemesis by Mark Millar. Yes. Yeah, yes. it reminded me of that type of costume with a bunch of ribbons coming out of the head. Colorful ribbons. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a unique costume. Yeah. Uh, I'll grant that. We cut back to Andrea. And again, she's... I don't know if she's happy or upset with these 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 other two guys, but they get dropped into I don't know a lava pit or something like that. Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, she just likes to kill. Yeah, just loves to kill everyone, and, and we're we're lucky to find out that Zorgal actually survives, or she's not so lucky to find that out. <laughs> but she plays that well, convincing him it was just an accident. She was about to go back and save him. Yeah. You know, and I mean, there's a lot of this cut back, have some action, cut back, have some action stuff. You know, Mary. Uh, encounters some of the stealth agents who were hanging out at her house because she had to go back for something. She decides when they shoot her to just flick the bullets back, and I'm like, you know you can get fatigued. If you get tired at the wrong time, like right then, you're dead. Exactly. So some of that just seemed a little weird. The whole bit with, a little later, Andrea going back through the ages to find the world's greatest treasures and figure out what to steal seemed a little out of... I mean, that was probably her plan to begin with. Go spend a million dollars to go make half a million or something. I don't know. It just (laughs) never seems to work out on that. It's true. (laughs) But when she pops back near the end, she she suddenly ages and such. Yeah, she literally offs herself. So there's no big showdown. No, I mean, she just rapidly ages to death, which is the second time we've seen somebody die that way. Yeah, and and the Flash just drops to her knees and... Watches the pile of bodies. Yeah, the the Flash defeats Andrea by happenstance. She does take out 
Zorgal or whatever by effectively electrocuting him. Yeah. It was kind of his own fault, but still. I don't know, this one just seemed frenetic in a way the others didn't. Yeah, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and the payoff at the end, I guess, I felt like the least satisfying. Yeah. Just just because there was no showdown between the, the main character. I mean, there kind of was, but there wasn't. Yeah, this one, I mean, it was good and it was enjoyable. It was just a little weird. Mary looked enough like Arissa, one of the uh, Green Lanterns, that that just kept nagging at me. Her dad looked just enough like John Byrne to be a little weird. And, I mean, there were a couple of, of Easter eggs. The place Mary was staying at one point was the Excelsior Hotel and a few things like that. So it was fun. Again, beautiful art, but a little just kind of all over the place on, on the story. I would agree with you. And the backup in this one was pretty horrible. I mean, it, the, just the art for me, it was really cartoony and just didn't work. It was Sergio Aragones, who's a oh, yeah. brilliant artist. But a jarring art shift after the Kevin Maguire lead story. Yeah, you go from the one style to the other, and it it t- pulls you out. Like v- it really pulls you out. You're like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's it's whiplash artistically. Yeah, it literally was. So I mean, it, that's the thing. If the whole comic would have been written like drawn like this, you'd have been fine with it. But it, it's just so different, and eh, it just didn't work for me. Sergio's art works for me when the entire narrative universe is in that style, i.e. it's Gru, it's one of his other books. Yeah. But even if it had just been this one book out of all of the Stan Lee stuff, that still would have been jarring, given the style we had in the other books. Exactly. So, I mean, you get all that stuff with, like, it looks like Stan Lee and some of the old creators getting together and, you know, meeting in a room and stuff like that, so. Yeah, it's more of the fly-by-night comics stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it was a humorous story or whatever, but it didn't really seem to add into the the overall narrative of this world in a way that I felt benefited it. Yeah, it was more like, uh, if you're reading this, you can just kind of pass, you know? I'll just skip over this stuff at the end. Yeah. By and large, I think almost all the backup features fit that. There's one or two that I don't think did, such as the one in Wonder Woman that potentially would have set up a Hawkman and Hawkwoman should they decide to do that, which they did not in this at least as a lead feature in these these 12. Yeah, the rest of them just kind of like, eh, all right, it's there if you really want to read something. Yeah, yeah. We then get to the JLA book. Yeah, that was kind of interesting because it kind of brought together all the characters that we've read up until now. Yeah, we have art by Jerry Ordway. Hard to go wrong with him. We open with, again, this feels very 60s style. Very much so. Three headshots of evil people and they only list three of the four because I think the honorary fourth in, in the evilness on this page is the colorist who put the bright red background on the black text for the arrows. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty horrible. <laughs> but we get Brock Smith, Lucinda Ramada or whatever. Yeah. And Deke Durgan. Yeah, Deke Durgan. Yeah, great names. And these guys, they're all sentenced to death on the same day. They they magically vanish from their execution, and they become the Doom Patrol. So kind of sneaking another property in in this one. Actually, a few other properties. Exactly. And they they, they become purple, too. Yeah. That was kind of weird. <laughs> there was a lot of this that, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. We get Adam Strange, who's just some kid who's initially seeming to be attacked by the Doom Patrol because he robbed the Church of Eternal Empowerment, because smart guy. Yeah, Adam Strange wearing that amulet almost felt like Doctor Strange. I was actually going to say, I want to say Doctor 13. Oh, yeah. There, there is a, a DC mystic that's got a a necklace kind of medallion thing that, that's similar-ish to that. Ah. Of course, you know, you, you also could have told me it was the hero dial and I'd have gone with that. Not with this kid as a hero, because he certainly was not. He was definitely not heroic. <laughs> what got me with the Doom Patrol is they use the names, but not necessarily as names, of Blockbuster, Parasite, and Deathstroke. Yeah. And it was a little weird, because Blockbuster's kind of a a mix between the Thing and the Hulk. Yeah, he's this massive, bald guy. Yeah, Thing and the Hulk. Exactly. He looks kind of like the Hulk with the torn uh, purple pants and such, but he's got a stone outer structure. Yep. The one going by the name Parasite can fly and possess people. So nothing at all like the DC Parasite. Deathstroke's the one whose powers I take issue with. 
He has basically a death touch. Yeah, touches people and they're, I don't know, liquidated or they turn into a skull. I don't, they I, die. They die. They age. I don't know exactly, but they're dead. Yeah. The problem I have with that is what happens with him at the end. Okay. He basically gets tricked into touching himself. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Flash <laughs> dodges and he kills himself with his own death touch. That shouldn't happen, should it? I don't think so, but I, I go on... My belief in, in comics worlds is they're, they're more convenient than, than our own, and these powers come with kind of a, a grace field or, or whatever that you can use them in polite company, and they aren't going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. This guy obviously never took a bath or anything like that, so... Well, he's only had the power a few hours, maybe. It's true. <laughs> but it seems like if he were to scratch an itch or something, he'd die. Yeah. So, I mean, it just it didn't make sense to me, but whatever. All of this basically is, is set up to where Green Lantern tries to rescue Adam Strange, realizes he's in over his head, and uses his green energy somehow to reach out electronically to Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, and The Flash. That was really weird. I don't know how he did that, but I just rolled with it. It was the power of narrative convenience. Yes, it was. <laughs> I was like, where's this power coming from? It almost reminds me of the origin of the Avengers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, I forget if it was Rick Jones or whoever called out to the various people, but the the signal got rerouted to, to Loki, to the ones who wound up becoming the Avengers. Yeah. And it takes a little bit for a couple of these people to show up. Yeah, it and really the Flash does. Flash joins the fight after it's over for the first round. So there, there's a certain amount of, you know, you've got to assemble the band and, and stuff like that, and they've got to have some, some disagreements or whatnot at the beginning, and it's, I think, everything you would expect from a superhero initial team-up. Yeah, it, it felt like that very first getting the, the band together issue, which you, you, you read those all the time, whenever you read a new team, you know, mm-hmm. or, or a new writer taking over a team. It, this is, felt like that type of issue, and... It's cool. It's a motley crew of characters that we've just read about, so... Well, the show-up-and-fight is so cliché about comics that my sister, who really does not ever read comics, commented on that during the first Avengers movie when we watched it. She's like, why is everyone fighting when they get together? No, it's like, of course they're fighting. This is how it's done. It's so cliché, even she knew it kind of thing. That's hilarious. So... Yeah. Now, one thing I did find interesting, I think this is the only one... No, they did have like a little bit of a backup in here. Not, No, they didn't. There was no backup. There was no backup in this. They spent the whole time on getting the band together and, and officially teaming up. So it was a solid 48 pages because I was looking for my notes on the backup and then I scrolled through it and I'm like, yeah, there is no backup story in this one. So you get the whole JLA. Well, and I think they needed the space because you've got the, the five Justice Leaguers, the three Doom Patrollers, Adam Strange... Dominic Dark is, is also a big bad in here. That's that's ten characters right there. Yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of cool that Stan still had it in him because he was writing this when he's, like I said, 70s, who knows, maybe 80 years old. I don't know. I don't think he was quite that old. Yeah, let's 20 say. 20 years ago. Yeah, let's say he was 70 because he would be. They, uh, late 60s, early 70s. I don't know. Okay. I, I'd have to go look up when he was born. I don't remember. Yeah, and he was still setting it up. I think it's just almost like muscle memory. You know, the team, getting them all together, setting up for the next issue, the way he leaves it, it's like, oh, we're going to be building a whole universe off this. Let's go. And it, it just kind of cool. He, he didn't hold back and just, you know, do one issue and done with it. He, he It felt like he expected to be here writing the books for the next 10 years. Absolutely. The part I found funny was what the JLA decides to essentially use as a, a headquarters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's essentially the what do they call it? The primeval forest of... Uh, y- y- Yggdrasil, or whatever, however you say that. The tree. Yeah, whatever. The tree. The, the tree. <laughs> the tree of life, that's how we say it. Yes. And I'm like, okay, that that's cool, there's a practicality to it, but there's an impracticality of how are the others going to get there without Green Lantern? Yeah. You can't really use a tree very well as a meeting place. They're all just standing in front of it. I guess it keeps you out in the shade if it's a sunny day. Well, it's not just a tree. It's a tree that they had to touch his hand symbol or whatever to get transported there. Yeah, very bizarre. <laughs> very, very bizarre. I, I, I would hope for something more functional, you know, maybe a chair 
a computer. Who knows? That's just me. I'd settle with something that had a street address. Yeah, that too. Something where you don't have to touch the green guy to get there. Well, something that if one guy can't show or is already there, everybody else can still get to. Yeah, and I'd feel very uncomfortable having to touch his chest to get there. Even even if you get over that. <laughs> They're all touching his chest at the same I, time. It's I just have funny. this image of they have their second meeting. He's there waiting, not realizing they can't get there without him. He's their ride. Yeah, he's the, he's like, where are where is everyone? What's going on here? They're just standing around. How do we get there? Yeah. <laughs> That's issue two. <laughs> so it was it was interesting. It just felt early to do this. It really did. I, I was surprised they did it almost... Well, this would be the fifth issue, or or, or the sixth issue that we reviewed. So, uh, yeah, I was surprised they did it this quick. I would have been tempted to have it be like the, the penultimate. Yeah, something building up where we're going to get the team together and then have the big crisis event. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And that brings us to the secret files. With apparently some pages that, I d- that exist that I didn't know existed. There, there were two parts of this. There's yes. a lead story that's, I don't know, 20, 25 pages or something. And then there's some who's who pages of all the characters. Yeah, so I didn't read the who's who. They, they didn't bring it into the collected stuff on DC Universe Infinite Ultra. And that does not roll off the tongue well. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> e- even as an acronym, DC UIU, DC I, I don't even know how you would that. <laughs> Makes no sense. It makes none at all. So having that issue at, at kind of a halfway point, uh, Secret Files, it was puzzling because the the story was essentially Bill Willard and Maria Mendoza of, what was it, the Inquir- National Enquirer or whatever? Yeah, the reporters of this universe, yeah. Yeah, basically going around interviewing everybody. Yeah. And we got some, some interesting stuff in terms of logistically how that happens because it's not like green lantern's got a phone number or whatever it's like oh i'll just give green lantern a ring ring telephone call oh how clever (laughs) but he stumbles by and and they do it that way superman's got a press agent you know so that's how they're able to do all these these interviews and such and it kind of felt like there was a little bit of retconning going on here Uh, which part First off, Green Lantern seems to magically know about the upcoming crisis and that Dominic Dark's involved. That's true. Dominic Dark, okay. The crisis? That was kind of weird. Because we, we haven't ta- read that yet, correct. I, I read this at the end out of order, so I didn't even pick up on that. But yeah, that's right. Superman's powers being somehow connected to the Tree of Life felt like a retcon. Yeah, that's definitely not there. There was a repeated theme that the heroes will help, but humanity needs to win the war. And I'm like, there's a war? The, yep. the, the mention of a crisis just felt out of the blue at this point. It, yeah, at this point it really did, because we haven't seen anything about a crisis yet. Yeah, and the, the green mist and glow as an extension of Mother Earth and being responsible for everyone's powers, uh, yeah. Superman's, it felt a little retconny. Yeah, that, that definitely did. Now, now that you mention it, yeah, it is. Not in a horrible way, but we're five, six issues in and, and we're recapping everyone's origin? Very bizarre. Now, granted, these were all one-shots. They didn't think everyone was going to read everything, and they were right about that, just because the sales just dropped off over time is, is is kind of common. I did find a couple of the Easter eggs kind of some better than others. The one of Superman lifting the car overhead like on the cover of Action Comics 1. I did catch that one, and I liked it. <laughs> that was cool. The reference to things like Super Breath and, and stuff like that, it's like a little cheesy. Yeah. There was a comment in, I guess it was the Batman part of the story, where we get the undercover cop again, and he's like, I don't have any powers. It's like, well, I heard you took a, a, a green glowing blast from the lantern, and, and quote, who knows if suddenly you won't mutate into some green lantern, or hornet, or arrow, or llama, or whatever. Yeah, that... <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But the Easter egg, I liked both the most and the least. The least because the way they set it up made no sense. Yeah. Wonder Woman turns her staff literally into a crystal bowl, summons the other heroes, they essentially do a seance, and they see the other heroes we haven't gotten yet of Robin, Aquaman, Catwoman, Shazam, and Sandman. Yeah, that was weird. I was like, huh, all right. (laughs) But that page, 
is a riff on the cover of Justice League of America 21. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Batman and Superman, I think, are sitting in the same seats in both. They had to obviously move a few other people around, because I think it was Green Lantern sitting where Wonder Woman was, and some Uh, stuff like that. Okay. But I thought that was, again, nice little callback or whatever, even if it was kind of nonsensical. Yeah. This issue was a quick read for me, because I didn't know about those backup who's who's pages, which they weren't in the electronic, or the digital version I read. But I did like the Flash taking the reporter for a run. Because you you always see the Flash carrying people and running with them. And I'm always like, how are these people not injured and stuff like this? At least the the reporter gets very nauseous here, which I thought was hilarious. That was a running joke, pardon the pun, on the Flash Zeroes in the Arrowverse. Uh, Whenever Barry would take John Diggle somewhere. Ah, okay. (laughs) He's getting nauseous. He he always hated that, yeah. Yeah. It It was fun. But yeah, they did Who's Who pages on Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, JLA, Reverend Dominic Dark, The Church of Eternal Empowerment, with a mention of the Doom Patrol, and then Robin, Shazam, Aquaman, Catwoman, Sandman, and The Coming Crisis. Okay. Now, so j- just a little piece telling about their powers and stuff? Yeah, and... well, it, it's almost a recap of their issue. Oh, okay. All right. In text form. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really read through these, because I just read the, the first couple of issues, and I didn't want to read the other ones because I'm about to read those other issues. It just seemed like odd placement to do this kind of in the middle. Yeah, that's very bizarre. You'd think they put it at the end when they're all done wrapping up maybe like a, a, a little like wrap-up sheet. Here's everyone that you were introduced to. Here's the da 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 Here's their powers. Here's their, you know, I, whatever. I almost would have dumped this issue, which I think was a dollar cheaper than the others at the time, if I recall, but I could be wrong on that. I almost would have done, I don't know if this would have worked or not, the JLA one is the penultimate and is an extra-sized one, done the recap of their origins in that story as they're kind of gathering their forces and talking to each other. Just, uh, you know, a line or two of dialogue and then put these who's who pages in that leading into the crisis. Yeah, that would make sense. So I just, this wasn't bad, but it was a, a little cheesy, a little... Where did some of this come from in terms of the coming crisis and, and the heroes will, will help fight, but the, the humanity needs to win the war themselves? All of that stuff, seeing the undercover cop again, it's like, I was puzzled by it. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? And, and doing it at the halfway point, I just... It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense. Yeah, that, that, that is bizarre. So, I, And I don't know what the reasoning and justification for doing that there. Because that does seem like a weird placement. I don't know. It is what it is. That's what they did. So. <laughs> now, this next one of Robin. A.K.A. Nightwing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's funny because there's aspects of the different Robins in this Robin. Yeah. Attitude-wise, I'd say Damien. Yeah, I would agree. Training-wise, I'd probably say Tim. Yeah, I could see that. In terms of just being a little bit of a, a troublemaker and stuff, probably a little bit of Jason. But I think they want us to think of Dick Grayson. I felt like that, too. I felt that they wanted this to be Dick Grayson, but it it didn't feel like the Dick Grayson we know. No, not at all. And it started off so funny for me because Batman is there basically, you know, fighting with him. And I'm just like, if you are beating a guy and you're trying to get him to not beat the snot out of you, wouldn't you take off the menacing looking bat costume? Secret (laughs) identity. That's true. I'm just like, I, I would be fighting for my life too if somebody dressed like that came at me <laughs> i'd be swinging away just wailing <laughs> yeah i mean starting I, with a full page splash of of robin kicking batman in the gut you know yeah that was kind of funny it was cool it was cryptic batman looks like the bad guy though doesn't he yeah he looks really menacing <laughs> well and robin looks just like a guy yeah just a guy yeah he, i know he's wearing a little beanie just some dock worker almost exactly he looks like a dock worker a ninja dock worker, because it's yeah, all in black. exactly. And there, there's something you don't hear very often. A ninja dock worker. <laughs> <laughs> we got art by John Byrne here, so again, nice art. Yeah, I would agree. Storytelling-wise, this was one of the other ones that had a very pronounced style in terms of the use of flashbacks. <laughs> Lots of flashbacks in this one. Tons of them. Every time he sees the little Robin bird tweeting. We never really get a clear indication that the Robin was presumably Mother Earth or whatever, the Tree of Life, directing him or something? 
I mean, given what we just read in the secret files, that stands to reason, but there was no clue in this issue to that. No, but apparently that's where his name was derived from because it landed on his crib and they, they had the, the joke in there, lucky for me, it wasn't a vulture. <laughs> yeah, another nod to, to Marvel, of course. Yeah, exactly, the vulture. <laughs> yeah, the whole bit of how we had to kind of peel back the onion layers on the story through the flashbacks and stuff to figure out, okay, here's his origin, he was an orphanage, got it, all Robins more or less seem to be orphans, except for Damien, of course. Yep. He's working for Dominic Dark, he seemed to have been duped, you know, he needed help only Dominic Dark can provide, which it's like, no, not really, but all right. It felt like so much of the story we were, we got the flashback, so technically I guess we were shown, but it still felt like we were being told. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, basically this Dominic Dark has this young orphan that he's trying to get him to do stuff, robbing banks and doing things for him. Robbing banks, robber, robbing uh, the elderly's apartments or what, our penthouses or whatever. Uh, just just making him into a horrible person. Yeah. I mean, now granted, you, you, you see the flashback of him growing up at the orphanage. He was a horrible kid. He really was. <laughs> and the weird part was... When we get out of that flashback, he's thinking there was there was one girl. I never found out who adopted her or where she went, dot, dot, dot. Well, he then gets sent to rob a bank by Dominic Dark. Now, Wayne Williams, Batman, just happens to be at the bank at the time. Yep. And that one girl also just happens to work at that bank location. Serendipity. It's on. Now, Beth, as her name turns out to be, was training to be a social worker, wasn't much older than Robin, and was there at the orphanage helping out or something. So the I never found out who adopted her thing made no sense. Exactly. Because she wasn't there to be. It just was weird. Yeah. There are a couple of things that if you pay attention, I'm like, okay, I don't get it. (laughs) Me neither. I was just like, did he forget that he wrote this other thing here? (laughs) Now, 50-50, some listener is going to get on the Slack channel or email me and and explain this, at which point, if you can, please do. But because, yeah. I was I was puzzled by some of this. I was the same way. And then once Beth walks out of his life, because she's done helping out at the orphanage for that bit, then he, for no particular reason, decides to take up sports, bodybuilding, reading to, to get smarter and such, and, and basically train himself to be, you know, Robin. Yeah, the Robin we know. In a world that doesn't have superheroes at the time, that seems a little weird. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> so I... I don't know, this this whole thing didn't make sense because it seemed like Dominic Dark was somehow engineering events, but inexplicably so. Even some of the Easter eggs in here I could identify. Some made sense, like Fingers Deli and Robinson Inc. for Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson and such. Yeah. Carlin's for Mike Carlin, it's like, I get the reference, but I'm not sure why there was the reference. You're like, hmm. <laughs> I, tons of respect for Mike Carlin. He's done great work both at DC and Marvel, but nothing that seemed relevant to this necessarily, at least not that I can think of. No, I would agree. So Batman basically chasing him down again and then dosing him with truth serum. <laughs> that seems a little extreme. Yeah, it did. It, w- it was really weird. Yeah. But it triggers another flashback because we'd had such a problem triggering flashbacks up until then, he said sarcastically. Yeah, every other page is a flashback. <laughs> We're barely out of one before we start another. Yeah, this th- this in the flash issue with the flashbacks, it was it, it was kind of annoying. You know, a flash issue with flashbacks, particularly when it could travel in time, there are ways you could really make that work. This was not the way, though. This was not the way. Now we're sounding like the Mandalorian, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We get the flashback of Robin coming across a martial arts studio the instructor is just a piece of work who's like taken over the place and run off the other instructors. So the owner doesn't have any choice, but to let him teach there until Robin throws him out the front window. Yeah, that was funny. And then gets a job as the the new instructor there. Yeah. This is again, all set up for a future series that never happens. Exactly. It, It never happens. Yeah. It's like, I mean, after that one scene, we never see anything of that again. Yep. He's running a class that we will never see. And, it's just like in his DNA to build for the next story. Yes. But it's not there. It's not going to happen. Well, and I go back to if this had been, you know, tables reversed and the Marvel mindset was the one who was, who was bringing in the one of the big creators of the other company to do stuff. 
mean, you look at how much they've leveraged Age of Apocalypse and the other kind of one-off worlds and stuff they've done over at Marvel. Marvel would not have let this sort of, of universe, you know, languish for two decades before doing anything with it. Exactly. You know, they would have uh, done something with it, you know, a something. couple of series here or there. Even if you didn't like what they did, they would have touched it in some way. Yeah. So it's just bizarre that it's just in the abyss, it feels like. At the very least, some team of exiles would have stumbled across that world at some later date or something. Exactly. Or the Avengers would have bounced over there for an issue or two, or Quasar would have bumped into them or something. Something would have happened somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. So missed opportunity for DC, big time. I agree. You know, finding out that that Robin was getting essentially brainwashed by, by Reverend Dark... What a shock, he said, again, <laughs> sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. But then he seems to use some sort of a spell to empower Robin. Yeah, that was weird. I was like, why? I, by the shadows of the night, the thorns of the rose. And he does this whole little thing, grant him the power to vanquish my foes. and just. But you don't really see a difference. There's a potential Easter egg in there. Oh, okay. What is that? The thorns of the rose? I'm wondering if it was supposed to be a reference to Rose and Thorn. Oh, okay. All right. And I've never read those characters, so that might be. That character singular. Oh, okay. It's essentially almost a Jekyll Hyde kind of a situation. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. And you may have actually read an issue. Did you read the two Legion of Superheroes Millennium issues they did before the the Bendis Legion series? She was what bridged the gap on that. I don't think I did. Yeah. Okay. She hasn't been used a ton. She was a character from like the 80s. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm looking her up right now on Wikipedia. Kind of obscure. Definitely kind of obscure. All right. Well, that's why I don't know. Okay. No, totally understandable. Again, you take out that Legion prequel and stuff. I would be hard-pressed to name... I know she has shown up, but where she's shown up since, say, the 80s. So I I don't know if we're going to see anything come of this this spell or not. Now, when you flip the page, you get that kick in the stomach again. Yes, I can see the redo of the kick of of Robin on Batman. I mean, that's kind of getting us back up to the beginning. Yeah, I almost got the vibe that that was supposed to be the fight, referencing the fight from the very first page. I'm like, are we back at that spot? But no, it's not the exact same spot. It kind of is, because again, that's how they the two met or whatever. But to, to, to flash back to the, the issue itself, that's kind of funny. That is funny. So, I mean, they essentially team up to go after Reverend Darker, but he and most of his guys go through some portal or whatever, and, you know, Batman's like, hey, we should team up and, and go fight him and stuff, and Robin's like, nah, don't need to. I'm good on my own. So, I mean, it wasn't a bad story, but it, it just had way too many flashbacks, and it was just kind of kind of ridiculous on, on that score. I agree with you. Too many flashbacks. <laughs> now, I will say this had the best backup feature. Yes. Because Beth goes back to the orphanage to talk to... I don't know what the guy's name was. I don't think we got a name for the guy, but about Robin and such. And she winds up wanting to talk to two kids who knew him, of Mark Merlin and Tommy Tomorrow, both of which are DC names and such. We find out there's a Madame Xanadu, another classic DC name, who's in charge of this place, who basically tosses this one dude through a portal to get Mark and uh, Tommy back. Now, how she can do this this Hocus Pocus stuff, I don't know. And really, both Mark and Tommy, Tommy is a tomboy. She's a girl that wouldn't clear it first to me. But this goes into Revenant Dark doing the naming of Tommy Tomorrow as a Tom boy uh, who was told she'd always be getting adopted tomorrow. So Tommy Tomorrow. Ooh, how clever. <laughs> the only explanation we get on Mark Merlin is uh, maybe he's the son of Merlin and just kind of an offhanded thing. And he's a royal jerk. The whole thing was just, um, it was a little weird. But finding out the Reverend Dark in the Church of Eternal Empowerment runs the orphanage felt like part of the backstory that probably should have been in the lead. But then also getting a hint that in addition to Adam Strange, Reverend Dark has another child, with the implication being it's either Mark or Tommy. So this one felt like there was a lot of meat on the bone in the backup, and in a way that actually mattered to the the overall universe. Yeah, I would agree. So that brings us over to the Shazam issue, the final one we'll talk about in this episode. And... This one actually started playing into the whole, you know, Merlin and Camelot stuff with Morgan Le Fay and, and whatnot. Yes, it did. I, I was not really expecting that. Me neither. And, and the character reminded me of Red Hulk. It did. It did. And I must also say that this was one of the issues that I think was my favorite art, I think. 
Gary Frank is a terrific artist, but he he tends to draw like I don't I don't know what it is. You know, he draws the characters with like a lot more definition. Well, let's let's go to the page where we first see Robert Rogers and Carla Norall. Okay. Interpol agents. When we get to that that bottom left panel of them, yeah, they seem like adults at kid stature, kids at adult stature, or something like that. I mean, it was. Now that you say it, yeah, I do notice that. <laughs> so Gary Frank is is a solid artist. No no two ways about it. Done some brilliant work and stuff. But there's something about the anatomy in some of his drawings that just the signature style. We'll go with that. Yeah, it is his style. He I, and. Later on, you know, you get like, I can't remember, the, but the pretty ladies and stuff like that and the dresses and gowns. I think he draws a very beautiful woman. I think that I, I think that's what I really like about his art. Well, certainly it's a clean style and there's some detail to it. I respect that. Oh, it really is. Yeah, I mean, he, he's very detailed. So like, I mean, even from page one where you get the dragon and the, the skimpily dressed like witch lady, whatever you want, Morgan Le Fay. It, there's so much detail to the dragon that could have been left off. Oh, absolutely. And great looking dragon. Yeah, so super cool. And, and then you got the Hulk character. That's what I'm going to call him, even though it's Shazam. I'm going to call him the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, this one was interesting because we've got two Interpol agents looking for Gunga Khan, who apparently has this shrink ray. He's going to go shoot at North America to shrink everybody down to insect size. Yeah. And then I guess just take over the continent? Just the reasonings and the machinations behind why they're doing these things. I'm like, I just kind of like, okay, well, why? <laughs> why are we doing this? Because they can? Yeah, pretty much. We got some Pym Ray there going on, so we're going to shrink people. Well, it's White Dwarf Star with the Atom. Yes, it is. So, I mean, to not have any kind of Atom connection was a little surprising, at least none that I caught. Yeah. The use of the green flame or whatever by Merlin, again, kind of ties it into the whole Tree of Life stuff, sort of, but I felt they could have done a a tighter connection on that. I agree. The two Interpol agents basically being in love, but not having the guts to tell each other. Interesting little cliche. Him being basically the brains, her being the brawn, being a black belt and stuff. Gee, what a surprise. Whichever way they would have went. It would have been a little cliche if if she'd been the brains and he'd been the brawn kind of a deal. But to see them in a fight where she's taking down two or three of these guys, and he's lucky that when he was hit by the knife, it was by the hilt, not the the sharp end. Yeah. But again, brilliant art on some of this stuff. Yeah, it really is. I, I thought it was terrific. You know, when they come across the old magician guy, so you got, I'm assuming, I can't remember the name of the country, but it's like a toss-up between India and Pakistan, wherever they are. I got the impression, okay, he has the power and it's kind of passed on to him through that green mist and everything that happens there. But the guy's like, I'm passing on the power. Don't, you know, the world needs Shazam. Don't forget. I was just assuming the old guy just say Shazam and he could heal himself right there. Why is he going down with the ship? I don't know. I don't think he had the power because this is Merlin who had created... Back in that earlier scene, how did he phrase it? Ah, okay, okay. A being of supernatural power, but it's too dangerous to to walk amongst men, so he'll sleep until needed. But it felt like it should be a creature being summoned, not something you turn into. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense now, because I took it that he had it inside of him, because I saw the green stuff coming out of his hands and everything. But that makes sense now that you say it like that. Well, I'm almost wondering if the tree that Merlin imprisoned Morgana in it's the Tree of Life, or Yggdrasil, whatever it is. It wouldn't make sense for it to be, but I'm wondering. It kind of looks like it, you know? <laughs> now that you say it, that the gnarly trunk. It kind of does, but it kind of doesn't make sense unless she's creating heroes. Why? Maybe she reformed in the whole process? I, I don't know. They squeeze some good out of her. I don't know. <laughs> it makes no sense. But it does look similar, the tree, the gnarly trunk. Yeah, well, and we've we've got a, a headlining tree in this, this whole series of things, so to have a second one be a little weird. Yep. What are the odds? <laughs> yeah, having Morgana having somehow escaped, because she's now working for, for Dark, implies she's not the Tree of Life, but again, um, there has to be a connection, it feels like. There has to. When I saw that page, that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, she's... Cons- the tree has consumed her. She's encased in the tree. 
okay, maybe that's where the power is coming from. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Robert getting thrown into the river and thinking all this because of that stupid word. And the minute he thinks it, he transforms. That's interesting. Yep. <laughs> it's bad enough if it if it works when you say it, but to do it when you think it, convenient, but has definite narrative implications and lifestyle implications. Obviously dangerous because you're not always in control of your thoughts. Things just pop into your head sometimes. Yeah. And that word pops in and all of a sudden, boom, in the middle <laughs> of public, and walking down the street, boom, I'm a big Red Hulk. Yeah, Red Hulk, almost a mix of Doomsday in there. Yeah, Doomsday, that's a good one. Red Doomsday. Because you got the bones protruding from the like the forearms and yeah. the chin. Yeah. Again, some great visuals when he's transforming and some stuff like that. It just seems like he shouldn't be a good guy looking like that. You know, two of the really good characters we had, Batman and this, they're very menacing-looking good guys. Yes, yes. (laughs) Scary things to run into in a dark alley. Yeah, I'd want to run the other way. I wouldn't think they'd be out to save me. Yeah, but this Gunga Khan, very over-the-top kind of a bad guy. Yeah, he was. (laughs) He seems like he'd be in a, a bad James Bond film. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh my gosh, it does look, seem like a Bond character, like from South Africa or something, the way oh. he's dressed. And and demoing the shrink ray for, for her benefit and such. Okay. Oh, it's funny, because at that point when he's shrinking his own guy, it looks like a ray. Yeah, exactly. But later, when he fires it up in the sky... It, it doesn't se- look like that. It seems like it's a missile? Exactly. I'm like, what is going on <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, and Robert figuring out as Shazam he can fly by sprouting wings? Yeah. I, I, I never really got a sense of what this persona's powers and abilities were, other than being scary looking, strong, sort of able to fly. Yeah. He can't really control his wings too well, but I mean, doesn't have him, not, not, doesn't have any experience with it, so it makes sense. And he doesn't strike me as an overly athletic individual to begin with. Yeah, give him a tail with those wings and he could be a gargoyle. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But I love it when he shrinked his guy down, how he just, after picking him up and showing the little guy, he just tosses him down like he's nothing, basically killing him. Yeah. What a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we gotta, gotta prove what a, a bad guy he is, so kill the cat. Yeah, you don't want to be a henchman in this world, apparently. No! <laughs> Everyone's killing the henchman. Even if they tell you you're going to die of old age, you want to make sure it's natural old age. Exactly, because it could be instantaneous. Yeah. So, the whole bit with the showdown and Shazam getting, I guess, electrocuted and somehow mind-controlled that way? Yeah, that was weird. Didn't really make sense, but there's there were already implications that in this state... Robert is getting stupider and stupider. Yeah, exactly. So I would have expected that to be something to play out over time had this gone to series. The whole bit with the shrink ray getting fired off, it's got to bounce against the satellite and then come back down. Why this wasn't satellite mounted, I don't know. Granted, you you just finished it, so maybe they didn't have time. (laughs) How does it not just shrink the satellite? That's what I was thinking. I was like, it doesn't make any sense what's going on here. All right. <laughs> it makes less sense when Shazam flies up into into space and outraces it. Outraces it, yeah. And is talking in space, too. <laughs> Did it. So, cool visuals, not a bad story. Does it make sense? Not so much. Yeah, this, this issue was definitely much better in the art category than it mm-hmm. was in the storytelling. Well, and there was an aspect where it was almost getting a little comedic in terms of the ray, which seemed to fire instantaneously before, was now taking a little bit of time. So Shazam, who now seems to have turned brown, is able to move the ray and point it at Gunga Khan and his guys and shrink them down. Yeah, it was very... I mean, when Superman will do that against, you know, Brainiac or whatever with super speed or something, it's like, super speed, I get it. But, again, there was some nonsensical things here. And how Robert's, what, tuxedo or whatever it was, or suit or whatever... Kind of comes back. <laughs> Survives the transformation where he didn't have it before and it comes back? I, I don't get. He almost goes from being naked. I mean, you, you can see him. There's no costume, but he's essentially naked to growing the, yeah, the tuxedo back onto himself. I, I, it's bizarre. Which, once again, Shazam is a magical character, so this is magic. There's magic and there's nonsense. 
and this is definitely nonsense. <laughs> Certainly blurring the line. I'm trying to make sense out of something that doesn't make any sense at all because that's the first thing I thought. You see this, the one page, and you see him going through shrinking, his hair sprouting back on his head, and then boom, the suit is there. It's like, how? Oddly, I don't have any problem with the hair coming back. No, the hair's cool. It's the suit. I still don't get how this was the creature that Merlin created at the beginning, not that we ever saw the creature there. Yeah, I agree. So there's, this, this seemed like it was in need of some backstory and explaining. And they've got a backup feature. That's not what they use it for, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Ending on these two basically realizing they've got a thing for each other and they should keep his powers secret so he doesn't get either used as a weapon or a guinea pig kind of made sense. Again, feels like a pilot episode of a potential series. Yeah, it does. I mean, it was the, this one I enjoyed for the art. The story was kind of nonsense. And Stanley has this thing where he has a lot of corniness about him when he's writing, you know, cheesiness, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some charm to it back in the 60s when you're a kid reading it. You read it now, you're just like, eh, this doesn't really work. But it is what it is. And hopefully he had fun doing it because the story itself, definitely not the strong suit. This one almost felt like a J.M. DeMatteis story. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. So, now the backup story here was interesting. On the street. Because we've got Ambassador Batson and Billy, and Billy's parents, Fred and Mary Marvel, have died. The Ambassador's kind of, you know, keeping an eye on this kid and such. Billy was friends with the mystic or whatever, Merlin, who was in the lead story and such. But Billy and his, his buddy Zubin, it feels like they have an almost Johnny Quest-style adventure. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect way of putting it. I couldn't put my finger on it, but that's what it is, Johnny Quest. And it's basically some food had been stolen for this whole village, which is what Billy's parents were trying to provide. They they free it and save the day or whatever, causing some, some ruckus in the meanwhile. But they own up to it and are deemed to be heroes by the ambassador and get to become honorary captains. I'm not entirely sure captains of what, <laughs> but captains nonetheless. And since Billy's last name was Marvel, it makes, to a degree, since he's kind of, sort of, but maybe not officially been adopted by Ambassador Batson, it would make Billy Batson Captain Marvel. Yeah, I salute you, Captain Marvel. <laughs> so, interesting? I would agree. Needed? Not really. Not really. Most of the backup stories were not needed. The The most interesting one was the Robin one. That was the meatiest one. Yeah, absolutely, by, by a wide margin. Yeah, the rest of them were just kind of like, and eh, enjoy them or not. The art on this was uh, charming, I would say. Who was the artist on this one? I honestly don't know. Because I was looking, and does it say on the front page? Because it didn't say in the story. It should say somewhere. Yeah, see I, if I, I can look it up real quick. Hang on. For the life of me, I have no clue. Oh, on the street, plot Michael... Aslan, Dialogues Family, Art Kano, K-A-N-O, Kano. Oh, did Kano do some stuff on Elephant Men or something? I don't know. You could have told me it was Jeff Parker and I'd have believed you. Yeah. It was It was a nice Saturday morning cartoon style, but not quite kind of art. Yeah. Again, Johnny Quest, I think, is, is the go-to reference for me. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. But I would say the backup for this and Wonder Woman were good. I, I would rank the backup features as Robin being the best, Wonder Woman being the second best, this being the third, and the others being skippable entirely. I would agree with you there. Yeah, the others were just, like, atrocious. I hate saying that, but, I mean, I, I just didn't even want to read them. I, I feel like I, I wasted a small part of my life reading that. <laughs> Any of the fly-by-night stuff was... Really skippable. It, it didn't fit the narrative world that they've built, even though they tried to set it in there. Exactly. Here, they, at least they had some nods and some Easter eggs and some stuff. With this, other than the backup feature having, you know, Billy, Batson, Marvel, etc., and using, you know, Fred, as in, you know, Captain Marvel Jr., Mary, as in Mary Marvel, all the names were in the backup feature. The only thing that was in common with the Shazam in the lead feature and the classic was Magic's involved. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And the name Shazam. Exactly. Everything else was completely different. So, I mean, these are fun, these are different, some of these are better than others, but it's it's surprising to me how much I had just totally forgotten on these things. Yeah, I'd never read it to begin with, and I can see how this is something that, I'm trying to say this in a nice way, things that are really kind of groundbreaking 
imprint on your mind, something that's really powerful or impactful. I would say none of the stuff is really impactful or powerful. So you read it 20 years ago, it's definitely not going to stick. If you had given me a multiple choice trivia quiz on this, depending how, how easy or hard the thing was, I if it was a very charitable one of, you know, Shazam involves magic, yes, no, kind of, you know, something of that level, something I, I might have done okay. If it was a, a really, you had to have read the stuff recently, I would have bombed it. And <laughs> if I did well, it would have just been happenstance or good guessing. Yeah. <laughs> or the questions would have jogged my memory, which I doubt. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. And it's not bad stuff, but again, there was nothing in the intervening 20 years to, to reinforce the memories. No, that that's exactly it. It, it. It's stories forgotten to time. And I know you said DC's going to revisit these stories. Well, they're doing it because of Stanley's uh, 100th birthday. 100th birthday. So it's 100th birthday, so they're going to be doing it. So, And I'm curious what they do with it. I'm curious if they'll use the same artist. I'm curious if they'll use the same you know, creative teams other than Stan. And I wonder who they'll pick to, to write it. And maybe it'll be something, I hate to say it, but more enjoyable. Not that this isn't enjoyable, but more a, a little bit fresher. I hope they have all-star talent on it. Yeah, I would, you know, I, he's got too much on his plate, but you can imagine what a Jeff Johns would do with this. Oh, yeah. Uh, just because he, he honestly shines writing about those Golden Age characters or Silver Age characters. A Jeff Johns, a Mark Wade, a oh, yeah. Kurt, Kurt Busick. Oh, yeah. They would do fantastic with this. I mean, there's there's a ton of stuff they could do with this. But I can tell you right now, I will enjoy that special a lot more having read these now and when we read the next four than I would have if we had not been doing these these episodes. I would agree with you because it, it, it would be you wouldn't know have remembered any of this stuff. So when they're hearkening back and doing Easter eggs about these stories, you wouldn't have remembered them. It wouldn't have stuck. Well, they spend, you know, what, 40, 48 pages or whatever in each of these setting up these characters versus it's a one shot. They're going to have, I don't know, eight pages per story or whatever it is. They're not going to have time to reset the scene. Definitely not. And given this is 20 year old material, unless people have have encountered the original, I, I can't imagine it working well for them. Yeah, I would agree. It, it feels like this is like an Earth whatever, you know, like Earth 2763 or whatever Earth it is. And if they wanted to, they could revisit it and tell a story here and there. But it's not in their best interest, and they probably just keep it out of the the main DC continuity. It's stuff you just won't see. Well, I'm trying to remember if they had set this up as one of the official other Earths or whatever in the Multiversity Handbook. Oh. And I think they did. Interesting. Now, they also had a couple of Earths that were set up as, you know, placeholders for later use, and I don't recall if they ever revealed what those were. Okay. But I'm pretty sure that, I mean, I know the Tangent stuff was set up as another Earth, and I'm pretty sure this one was too. And we're going to be doing Multiversity before too long, so when we go through the guidebook, we may spend a little bit on just, you know, hell, we may even do a separate uh, uh, roundtable discussion on, on... did these Earths ever pan out or not? Yeah. Because again, I know they had a couple that were question marks of, of we'll, we'll reveal this later. And I don't remember, well, when did Multiversity come out? Jeez. Because they, they never did reveal them. No, I think it was in the move to Burbank whenever that happened. Did, isn't that when they did Multiversity? I want to say around 2015-ish, but I don't remember. Yeah. But I'm curious to read it. I never read the material. I've never experienced it before dealing with all the worlds and I'm probably going to be lost. So you, I'm reading it with the perfect person because you'll help me and show point out things that I will have no clue about. Well, and again, part of what I'm enjoying about the Just Imagine is kind of re-exploring a whole narrative universe, shared universe, whatever you want to call it, that had some cool stuff in it. It does make me think at some point we may want to do the tangent stuff because that's a similar idea, just minus Stan Lee, where they, they kept the names and changed everything else. But then certainly going through Multiversity, where we get to explore some of what they were rebuilding the New 52 worlds to be or whatever, will be kind of fun too. I'm completely on board for it. And now that I have my DC Infinite Ultra, whatever it's called, Unlimited Ultra, I don't know what it's called. (laughs) I want to put some work in on that thing. (laughs) Well, and also, I know I ordered the Multiversity Omnibus. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I think I actually have the Omnibus too. I think that's coming soon. So I'll dig it out of the pile, because I need to crack those things open. I'll probably still read this digitally, just because those things are heavy. 
they are. <laughs> Mine's probably buried somewhere in the middle. When we come back uh, for the next back issue spotlight, we're going to be going through Just Imagine for Aquaman, Catwoman, Sandman, and Crisis. I still don't know why they did Catwoman and Sandman. Yeah, that's bizarre. It just seems like weird picks. Catwoman is a viable enough character. I can see it, but Sandman, that's... I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping there's some kind of text piece somewhere as to why they picked what they picked. Yeah, hopefully, because that's a very weird pick. I would agree with you. And it may just be in some interview or some back issue magazine or alter ego magazine or some such. If somebody knows, please let us know. I, I'm curious. I haven't really dug around for it, though. Me too. Anything else? No, that does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.